Hi, I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is Blackthorne Grove. Hello, and welcome to the Blackthorne Grove. My name is Amy Blackthorne. Today, I want to talk about that spooky time of year, that time when our minds turn to the idea of a Halloween witch. The idea of ghosts and goblins creeping around your back doors, through the woods, and maybe even near Grandma's house. We've seen on social media, we've seen in the news that rumors and ideas of witches cursing the moon, or the sun, or the fae, or what have you. Very often these are disparaged as baby witches who are misled. It seems to me that it's a very small number of people who have even had such an idea. But that's not the key. It's not the thing I want to talk about today. The interesting thing is that the things happening on the social media profiles of witches, whether it be TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, it doesn't really matter. The interesting thing about that is when things that happen in our community impact the news that we see online, on the television, on network news. I was very surprised to see such mentions. Normally our antics, so to speak, don't really appear in the normal medias. We have the Wild Hunt, which is an amazing resource, especially when you try and keep up on current events. But to see things like that in the media real time is really interesting. We're used to seeing the very staid and very common <laughs> October articles from major media saying, look, here's a witch and they're not that scary. Here's some spooky lighting and here's some backtrack of haunted houses. But we're not used to seeing articles in the newspaper or in our, our visual media that aren't related to the regular, oh, here, it's Halloween, let's interview a witch, peace. The problems come when we see things about witches cursing public figures. The president, the members of his cabinet who are having some issues. Our private magical workings are usually just that, private. Those who have taken to publicly and ritually cursing public figures to evoke change isn't a new thing. It's just that with both a 24-hour news cycle and the advent of social media, witches have more of a voice than they have ever before. 
across incredible number of platforms. <clears throat> this is wonderful that we have such reach and the availability really of those of those access points. As a very young witch in the mid 90s, I, I can think of the user forum at wicca.com, the Celtic connection, <laughs> and trying to find someone near you on the witch's voice. And those were really it as far as really great opportunities to meet other pagans, to meet other witches, to meet other Wiccans. It, it, it was this very interesting combination of secret, but not secret, and available, but not too available. You know, you could find, um, especially towards the, the later 90s, uh, 99 and early 2000, more and more witch shops became available, more and more people were willing to have open rituals, open circles, open networking events. That was fantastic. But it didn't really happen as much the further back you go. It became harder and harder to find. Unless you lived in a major metropolitan area, if you were lucky enough to be able to visit the Magical Child or the Warlock Shop or um, Panpipes uh, on the West Coast. Unless you were in a very, very large metropolitan area, it, it was pretty hard to find something that was really readily available. But now you can go on a number of social platforms and just find thousands of people like you, not just one or two or three. So it's a great time for us to not only see and experience our identity as a whole, but it gives us an availability to the public purview that really wasn't a whole lot available before. Like I said, you'd get one or two network areas who'd go and they try and find a local witch to interview and they'd light it badly and have you set out a lot of candles and that would be it. They'd say, oh, look, this is Susie Homemaker and she's a witch. It's not too scary, but we want to play out the sensational angle just in case. The problem is that when we connect so readily and so freely, especially with generations of children who were, have been raised pagan now, when we get to people who have had the luxury of being open in their communities, being open with their children's teachers, we lose the part we lose that fear, which is great, of the what if. What if someone finds out? What if someone knows? It can be really easy to move to that part of your brain where everything's open and everything's honest. And we're all very privileged to be able to be honest with our friends, our family, our neighbors. But we, we get to the point where we're so excited and we're so open that it can be, 
we can forget how hard it is to live in the broom closet. We think, oh, well, I'm, I'm out of the broom closet. I've, I've done this. I've, I've gone here and I haven't had any problems. So everyone should have this ab ability. And I find myself, I've been in that, in that place before. I am very, very privileged. I, I, I'm not going to say differently. There's a lot of really uh, things that I've been able to do that people of color, uh, people uh, who have been in, in more rural areas than I am, would not have the ability to do. And I'm, I'm, I'll be the first one to recognize that. But I still have that part of my heart that wishes that everyone had the ability to embrace that part of themselves and not feel as though they had to hide. But I'll tell you, I didn't always feel that way. Even for being in as suburban an area as I am, my high school, my the later part of my high school years, were spent in a very rural area. And some might have described it as backwards. Um, but the things that I have experienced between those points, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish on anybody, especially someone I would call a co-religionist. In the 10th grade, the very end of the 10th grade or 11th, you know, early 11th grade, a young woman who I was, uh, who I went to school with, decided to tell the entire school that I was a witch. How she found out and how that came about isn't really pertinent. But the idea that she was so angry, she perceived me as a romantic rival for the affections of someone else. that she took it upon herself to tell the entire school that I was a witch. Not only was it hurtful and that, that violation was difficult to deal with, that was the least of my issues. You see, in this backwards part of the country, it was still, people described it as being a few decades behind our metropolitan areas. Uh, this still at this point allowed the next town over the local police and what have you allowed uh, a man in a hooded robe to hand out literature for the KKK on Sunday mornings on the street corner. I don't know why this was deemed acceptable, especially all, all the way <laughs> into the 90s. But this was not a safe place for people of color. This was not a safe place for anyone deemed other. I, I got death threats. I had an attempted stoning. But actual children from my school threw actual rocks, some of which were probably the size of a lunchbox, so they obviously didn't go very far. Uh, these are really incredible things that we think of 
as happening so far in the past. Well, even if it was the 50s, you know, as so far away, it's not. People, not only in our community, but in marginalized communities all over this country have these problems even today. There's a picture that started going around probably last year and then uh, with it being Halloween, it started coming up again of this sweet little blonde girl in her Halloween costume. It was a long black dress with a probably a hula hoop tied into the bottom of the skirt and a post behind her back. And the hem of her dress colored in flames. And witches all over have been sharing this image as, as some sort of celebration. Yes, you go, tiny human. I can't explain to you how it has felt to be threatened with fire in such a visceral way. This isn't something that happened in the 1600s or the 1700s or even in the 1950s. This is something that is happening right now. This is something that comes up in my newsfeed weekly, if not daily. There are places in Africa where they're still murdering humans because of the color of their skin. They're, they're killing albinos, thinking that their body parts are magical because they have no melanin in their skin. Last, it was recently, a man in Oklahoma beat his five-year-old daughter to death because he was convinced she was a witch. Five years old. I absolutely understand that there's some sort of mental illness involved with that kind of declaration and act. But that is a real fear that people have. People are still afraid of us because of that word, which. I was listening to Witch Lab last night the fabulous Tiffany was interviewing the adorably lovely Jason Mankey. And they mentioned um, understanding and reclaiming, uh, reassessing their relationship with the word witch. It was really fabulous. If you haven't listened to it, if you haven't seen it, definitely go check it out. Great interview. Actually, uh, last week, this is being recorded on Thursday, the 22nd of October. Um, so absolutely go back and check that, check out the interview with Mortellus from last week. Also, it was, it's long, it's probably two and a half hours, but it's amazing. You should definitely check that out. That being said, 
I can remember in the early to mid 80s, or not 80s, early mid 90s, when people were using words like Wiccan, not witch, to sort of distance themselves from the idea. Even though the satanic panic had really taken place more closely in the 80s, there was still echoes of it, still whispers of those fears and those urban legends that accompanied well into the 90s. <clears throat> so people had spent a lot of time drawing very clear lines about their their ideas, their responsibilities, and their beliefs. But I've always used the word witch. I I can remember being very young. I can remember being 15 and coming out to my mother and my stepfather and using the word witch. It was sort of inflammatory at the time, understanding the the ideas of what witches do, what witches practice, what witches can do. I think that's scary for a parent. I I can see that as an adult. My mother was very level in mine when I explained it to her. But it was one of those things that it still came up. It was still one of those things that was brought up as a point of contention whenever she was upset about something. It was, it was that little dig that let me know she really wasn't okay with it, but she didn't know why she wasn't okay with it. She wasn't actually in touch with her feelings on the subject. And even as a young adult purchasing my first home, I, it was probably five years after I moved into this home, the neighbors had discovered I was a witch. Big, big detective work here. I had a, a bumper sticker on my car that said, witches heal. Um, but I walked out of my home on an April morning, got in my car, was backing out, I was um, going to Sunday brunch with some friends, and, and I look as I'm backing out and I see something in the driveway. So I stopped and I got out. And some small-minded individual had spray-painted, which bitch, fuck you, on my driveway. Here it was, probably 2010, and I was still dealing with this crap from strangers. In the early 2000s, I started a witches meetup through meetup.com, which is probably still a thing, I don't know. Uh, in my town and it's gone it's gotten big enough that even 15 years later it's still going i'm not i'm not still in charge of it i'm not still running it but it's still at least before the pandemic it was still happening 
but I was holding it. I was holding it. It was a joint event between the two neighboring towns on opposite sides of a state line. So it was being held on a busy thoroughfare. Uh, those of you in the Maryland, Delaware area especially know how busy our section of Route 40 is. Route 40 technically goes from east coast to west coast, but uh, in this particular area, it's very industrialized. There's a lot of large retail and light industrial spots. We were fortunate enough to have a member of our group who owned a retail store that wasn't, it's not a witchy shop. It wasn't anything like that. It just had a classroom we could use. And because the events bordered on the state line, half of the residents lived in the rural county that was very small-minded, and half of them lived on the suburban side of the, of the state line with more metropolitan ideas about things. Well, we'll say that one half of the line was red and one half of the line was blue. <laughs> um, but I had been holding witches meetups in this spot for probably a year when one of the local churches <clears throat> found out that I was running one of those witch meetings out of this shop and not only threatened the shop, the, the couple who owned the shop, but me as the event coordinator, uh, it, it got pretty, it got pretty hairy there at, at one point. Uh, I was driven off the road. I had shown someone show up at my house and threaten me with a claw hammer. Um, there's, Definitely some hairy spots there. But I never thought about going back into the broom closet. I had done it from the time I found my first book on witchcraft when I was 11 <laughs> until I came out to my parents at 14, 15. But I never thought about not being who I was. But this time of year, this, it's not just fall, because it's still technically fall in November, but everyone's too busy thinking about eating <laughs> at Thanksgiving that, to really have en enough energy to be dicks to each other. <laughs> I mean, some people will make the time, but it's, it's really the October season that brings it out in people. They start to question their ideas about life and death. And the other, the witch, brings out those questions. Do I really know what happens when I die? Do I really know what happens on the other side? People start to really reflect on their own ideas. And so when the thought comes to them that, there's a group of people who know something that they don't. Witches have such a, a beautiful relationship with the holes of life and death. We don't shy away from the idea of death. That it makes them angry. It makes them 
scarily angry to, to think that we have answers that they don't. And for some, it's the, it's the thought that we believe something else, something other than what they've been told their whole lives. It can be scary and it can be dangerous. But I didn't get to the point where I lamented my understanding of my, my own beliefs and my own practices. Until I started working in a very conservative field, when I started working in security, in executive protection, I worked in here in Delaware, you know, where I live. And because it was a very conservative field, and my, my original intent, my original job plan was to uh, find a supporting role in some sort of related field and go to, you know, I was in college for criminal justice studies. So I figured, okay, this is a very conservative field. I'm not going to mention it. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm not ashamed of my, my religious views, but it's work and it's really nobody's business. And so I just, I really didn't talk about anything too personal at work. Again, it was nobody's business. I was the head of security for two high rises in Wilmington as 35 floors worth of lives that were my responsibility. So it didn't leave a whole lot of time for talking about my romantic life or talking about my life outside of work. Until one day I was coming in, my shift started at 5 a.m. <laughs> don't do that. I don't recommend it. <laughs> and I was coming to relieve the officer who was on post. Uh, I come in to relieve him. He's going to go take another post for another two hours and then he's going to go home. So I'm getting myself set up for the day and logging in and I'm checking out my radio, doing all the, the things that I need to do. And he says, so you're a witch, huh? And my heart stopped. Uh, what now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you're a witch, right? That's, what, what's, what's that about? <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, shit, Delaware is <laughs> the second smallest state in the union. <laughs> Um, what exactly am I going to say? Who has he been talking to? Turns out he had done some research, uh, and found out, oh, hey, this is, this is what she does. This is, you know, who she is. Thought this was really amusing. Not in the haha, you know, you're a witch thing, but that he figured out something that nobody else at work knew. Because you see, as a young person with my very first official job, my first job that involved tax paperwork, <laughs> I had that same 
which is heel bumper sticker on a different car. And the, the dude in the produce section thought this was open season on Amy. The day that he figured out that that was my car. Her, her. Which is her amusing. Right up until his wife bought a, a bottle of prosperity oil from me at the county fair. I told this story in uh, Blackthorn's Botanical Brews, which just came out. Once his wife used my prosperity oil, won some money on the lottery, all of a sudden it wasn't so funny anymore. All of a sudden it wasn't the punchline for a joke. But I don't think that the, the look of fear in the corner of his eye ever really went away. Well, if she can make an oil that won us whatever $500 in the, the lottery, what else can she do? And that's, I think that's the crux of the fear that most people experience, whether they can acknowledge it or not is what are witches capable of? And it's a question that gets asked by people outside our community pretty frequently. Well, what can spells do? And there's the, the ready pat answer. Oh, love, money, protection, yada, yada. There are the people who honestly think that this is an episode of Charmed or Bewitched or... Sabrina the Teenage Witch, whatever it is. But that's not what we're doing. And there's a lot of people who can make it difficult to understand or believe us when we say, you know, it's a very benign practice. You don't have to be afraid of us. Some people are really pretty tickled at the ability to bring out that fear as a defense mechanism. Because magic can be scary. Witchcraft can be scary. Um, there's the awe that you experience during initiation. In that old school sense of the word, like struck mute out of the immensity of the thing that you have experienced. That's how you know it's an initiation. You know that your life will never be the same again. You feel like a brand new person. And it's funny because I never got that feeling uh, as a as a child or as a, a young teenager being baptized against my will, mind you. Uh, I never got that that odd sense of change that an initiation brought me. I've talked to Christian friends and family members who have undergone that idea of initiation by baptism. And they're definitely ready to understand that their life is different. But it's not quite the same feeling, whether it's my ritual or theirs, it's, it's never quite the same both either for two different religious traditions 
for two people in the same coven. You're going to experience that change, that profound life-altering change in two separate ways. Even two people who were standing in the same ritual space at the same time experience two separate rituals. So there's the healthy fear of magic as a practice that says that this is something big and important and that will change your life. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the gut-clenching paranoia that people seem to associate with the, the practice of witchcraft. And I wanted to ask what you thought about that fear. Because there are quite a few people, myself included, who have spent a lot of time and energy trying to not demystify, but de-scarify, if you, if you will permit me, witchcraft and magic. And it's not even that I think magic isn't scary or dangerous because it can be both things. Especially if you're someone who appreciates plants the way I do. Especially if you know someone or love someone who embraces the poison path of individual plants and plant energies, plant allies. So I spent a lot of time trying to tell people, oh, it's, it's not scary. It's not bad. It's, it's okay. Because honestly, I got tired of being threatened. Uh, I'm a, I'm a black belt. I've been in executive security for ever. <laughs> I am a self-defense instructor. I, I teach a number of defensive tools, uh, but I got, I got tired of being threatened. I got tired of feeling I had to defend myself. So I spent a lot of time trying to soothe the egos of other people, trying to get them to understand, Oh, it's, it's, it's just nature worship. It's just earth worship. It's just, it's just, it's just. But witchcraft isn't just anything. It's a incredible and life-affirming practice, but it is also the depths of darkness in our souls that sometimes peeks its way out. The, those times when we're afraid of what life has to bring us, those can be pretty dark and scary times, but that doesn't invalidate those feelings. The darkness that brings us to our own fear has as just just as much right to be there as the joy and the happiness. We, we try not to dwell on those things, but balance is needed. I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. A plant who lives only in light will wither and die. We need darkness and we need rest. And this is the time of year when we turn ourselves inwards and we, we receive that rest. Things around us are starting to die here in Delaware. It, it was 80 degrees today. And next week, we'll probably be in the 40s. 
the low 40s, so there's risk of a frost. And that's a little early for here for this time of year. Plants start to wither and die, and we start to wonder, what if? What, what comes next? But as witches, we know that that fear is not... It's not without merit, but it's also not something that we should spend our entire lives living in fear of. Whether you believe in the Summerland or whether you believe in reincarnation or honestly a little bit of both or some of all of the above, it's not a punishment to die. The biggest understanding and the biggest arguments seem to be centered around the idea that death is some sort of punishment for whatever life you've lived. And that's not the case. I generally don't talk about my near-death experience, and I'm not going to go into it today. But I don't feel the fear of death. Because I feel as though the things that I've experienced prepared me for what I will see when that time comes. So it's not that. It's the fear of the continuation of my loved ones. What will they do without me? But that is a, a healthy fear, a life-affirming, respective, encompassing thing. A woman I used to teach with in the, gosh, in the early aughts, I used to teach a, a, a witchcraft class with this particular woman. And her tradition at Samhain every year, they held a ritual for Samhain. And there was a very specific part of their ritual practice to honor those poor souls who died as a result of their beliefs in a myriad number of ways. But the one that was most impactful to her, the one that shook her to the very core of her being, was the most recent sound to when she told me this story. And instead of people acting out the Salem witch trials or, or what have you, this passion play, for lack of a better term, didn't take place in the 1690s. It didn't take place in another country. The high priest leading this ritual let everyone in their meditative space. Everyone's enrobed and cloaked and it's a very solemn occasion. And the high priest left the ritual room, cut a door, went out outside of the room, very quietly closed the door behind him. And he waited. Everyone's meditation, everyone's calm, everyone's quiet, and he waited, 
very quietly until he could hear people start to sort of rustle around and get him comfortable in their, in their seats. And then he starts pounding on the door. Open the door. We have your emails. We know who you are. We know where you meet. We know what you're doing. Open the door. I wasn't even in this ritual. I wasn't even there. And the impact that that story had, it's, it's been 15 years since she told me that story and I still, I get choked up because of that very real fear. It's no longer the fear of death. It's the fear of what other people do when they are afraid of you. I don't have any answers right this minute. Honestly, I don't. I don't have a fix for this. I think if it was easy enough, if it was easy enough to just be fixed with a 45 minute podcast, it would have been fixed already, honestly. Um, but what I am saying is that the people who love you, love you. And they are here for you and they should be. It's not the fear of the witch that worries us in our soul with the people who love us. It's the people who are too afraid to know us that we should watch. I started feeling that fear again here recently. People are getting their lawns burned. People are having threatening notes left in their mailboxes if they have um, Biden signs in their lawns. Uh, a friend of mine had Trump spray painted on her car for God knows what reason. I really thought that with the advent of things like Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and whatnot, spreading images of what witches do, do, that we get past the echoes of the satanic panic era. We'd get past this, these bullshit ideas about morality that are based in Christian ideology. I really hoped that we had gotten to the part where it was just okay to be who you're being and move on. And I hope I can get back to that feeling again. I wanted to tell you before I ran away that I have created a line of spell candles that I've taken it upon myself to really get in touch with my magical roots and have 
an additional set of spell candles that have matching teas to them. So if you go to my website, blackthornsbotanicals.com, and click on Botanical Magic, uh, Teas and Candles, you'll be able to see the, the teas that match candles. Uh, there's a candle that matches the Hex the Patriarchy tea. Um, that one smells like a witch's succulent garden. Uh, it's, it's a very dark color and it smells green and beautiful and just a wee bit witchy. There's Ancestor Support, which is, it smells like beautiful dusty lace and church resins and whiskey. <laughs> um, my beautiful puppy Millie has been snuck underneath my desk and is eating something. <laughs> Millie, what'd you get? What'd you get? That's not yours. Um, as always, you can find autographed copies of my books at blackthornsbotanicals.com. And if you'd like to shoot me an email, tell me what you've been thinking about, maybe what you thought about this episode or any of the previous episodes, you can send me an email at blackthorngrovepodcast at gmail.com. I'm really excited to see what all of you are doing for Samhain. I've been rushing around trying to get everything taken care of for all of my fabulous clients and customers. But I'm I'm here for you. I do I do this for you, but I also do this for me. <laughs> I'm I have some fabulous guests lined up for the next couple episodes, so I really hope to hear from you soon. I'll see you on the flip side. Again, this is Amy Blackthorn from Blackthorn Grove, and if you'd like to catch up with me, there's also a really fantastic bunch of videos that I've been doing on Instagram cocktails and vinegars and salad dressing and all sorts of neat things uh, on Amy Blackthorn author on Instagram. I appreciate your time and attention and I will see you next time.